it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Killer Stories. I'm your host, Bobby Holmes. I want to wish happy holidays to all my listeners. My family had a nice low-key Christmas at home, but I'm looking forward to the month of January as we'll be hosting lots of visitors. Can you believe it's 2024 already? This past year literally flew by. In the chaos of the past few months, I've been working on a script that is, well still unfinished. (laughs) I ran into a friend at a Christmas party who in the past has offered to help with the podcast. Me being a major control freak, politely declined. But this time, knowing how far in the weeds I am, I pushed my pride aside and admitted I could use some help. I want to thank Sarah Bro from the bottom of my heart for doing the dirty work of research and partial writing of this week's episode. She's excited to be a part of the podcast, and I'm sure you'll hear me dropping her name on future episodes of Killer Stories. Round of applause for Sarah. Now it's time to jump into the story of convicted killer John Battaglia. This was suggested by friend and fellow podcaster Lorraine Purden of Once Upon a Nightmare. John David Battaglia Jr. was born August 2, 1955, in Enterprise, Alabama, to parents John David Sr. and Julia Christine. He was the oldest of five children, his younger siblings being two brothers and two sisters. John Sr. was a logistics specialist in the Army Medical Corps, and like most military families, they moved around quite often. This made it difficult for John to make friends, As soon as he would feel comfortable in one place, they would have to pick up and move to a new location. His mother, Julia, also had a hard time with the constant moving and developed severe depression. John and his mother had a really close relationship, but the person he was constantly seeking approval from was his father. He never felt quite good enough in his eyes. John Sr. was very strict. Makes sense, being a military man, But he took things a bit too far with angry outbursts when his family failed to follow his rules or meet his high standards. Unfortunately, he typically took his anger out on his wife, Julia. 
1970, John Sr. left the military and landed a job as a hospital administrator in Oregon. The Battaglia family were finally able to put down some roots. At this time, John was starting high school, and knowing they would no longer be moving around, he finally felt like he could make some friends. He even joined the football team. But to his surprise, they moved once again during John's sophomore year to Dumont, New Jersey. And this is where John would later graduate from high school. Julia did not handle this move well. Not long after, she was institutionalized in a mental health facility for 18 days. And this 18-day stay did little to cure her severe depression. Her drug of choice to numb the pain was alcohol. Julia's drinking escalated, and sadly, she became a full-blown alcoholic. In early December 1972, John Sr. had enough of his wife's behavior and decided to send Julia back for another stay at the mental institution. When he shared the news, Julia became so hysterical that a doctor had to be called to administer a sedative. She hated it there and was absolutely terrified by the thought of going back. The following day, Julia drove to a nearby bridge and committed suicide shooting herself with a 9mm handgun. John was absolutely heartbroken over the loss of his mother. He felt as if he failed her, thinking he should have done something to help save her from being trapped in a deep depression. John's way of grieving was to focus solely on his schoolwork, and he graduated a year early from high school, after which he enrolled in Fairleigh Dickinson University to study pre-med. Perhaps it was due to the grief of losing his mother or just taking after his father, but while in college, John developed an extremely bad temper. He would display instances of explosive rage, frightening everyone around him. He later switched his major from pre-med to accounting, but completely dropped out from the university in 1976. The reason being he joined a rock band who went touring. Jack of all trades, I guess. After a run-in with the law due to drug charges, John joined the Marines. He excelled in the military, achieving the rank of sergeant. After leaving the Marines, he moved to Dallas, where John Sr. was currently residing. John decided it was time to continue his education and registered for the night class schedule, keeping his daytime free so that he could work. He even did some part-time modeling. When I read that, I was like, really? Modeling? I need to see what this man looks like. Most of the photos available online are from a much older John in prison attire, and even then he seems to be striking a pose for the camera like a true narcissist. I did find this photo on Murderpedia of his younger years for those watching on YouTube. John eventually graduated with a master's degree and became a CPA. In 1984, John met a woman named Michelle Getty. Michelle was a single mother working her butt off as an attorney. The two started dating, and Michelle first witnessed John's explosive temper while on a road trip to meet her family in Louisiana. I'm not sure the exact circumstances, but there was a car full of teenagers that caused John the most extreme case of road rage. While driving, he bent over and was reaching around inside of a duffel bag, 
Michelle offered to help him grab what he was looking for so he could keep his eyes on the road until she discovered what he was looking for was a gun. She tossed the bag into the back seat out of reach. Angrily, John sped up past the teenagers, rolled down the window, and yelled some obscenities their way. These are the type of people I fear on the road. You never know who is carrying and crazy enough to use it if you piss them off in the slightest. Michelle began to have second thoughts about the relationship after seeing John at his worst, but she decided to stay with him, mainly because she was now pregnant with his child. She didn't want to be a single mother of not only a young boy, but a newborn. She didn't want her child to grow up without a father. In 1985, John and Michelle got married. Sadly, it didn't take long for John's rage to translate into domestic abuse. There were multiple occasions where John physically abused Michelle while she was pregnant. She once asked him for help with something. He ignored her. She asked again. John stood up from his chair, squeezed his hands around her neck, and said, I'll help you when I'm good and ready. But Michelle recounts that he wasn't like this all the time. He would blow up maybe once a month, but between outbursts, he was really sweet and they were happy. This confused Michelle. It's the roller coaster of abuse. After an incident, the abuser then reverts back to what's called the honeymoon phase, making the victim believe they have changed and everything is going to be okay. On November 5th of that year, they welcomed to the world a baby girl, Christy, John's mother's maiden name. During another one of his outbursts, John threw her older son against the wall and on another occasion kicked the poor boy. Up until this point, he mostly focused his rage on Michelle, like father, like son. But now that John abused her son, who she thought he had adored, her mama bear instincts were kicking in. John later punched Michelle while she was holding Christy, causing her to drop the baby. Michelle feared for the safety of herself and her children. And after this incident, the couple separated. She obtained a restraining order against John, and he, by law, was ordered to stay away from her. But we all know how well restraining orders actually work. John began to harass her by pounding on her doors and windows, following her, tapping her phone line, calling her home and office at all hours of the day. He even called her employer and made false claims about her. One night, he actually broke into her house, woke her up, demanding that she withdraw the charges against him, and, get this, have sex with him. She refused and instead called the police. After this incident, John followed Michelle in her car and tried to run her off the road. Michelle filed another police report stating that he had thrown a rock at her car and made threatening gestures. He was finally arrested and spent several days in jail. He pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge and was placed on probation for two years. This was the kick in the pants that John needed to turn himself around. He changed his behavior for the better. But this was only temporary. Before too long, he was back to his usual self and assaulted Michelle, leading to another police report. This is horrific because Michelle is doing everything she's supposed to do. 
She reported every single act of abuse from her husband to authorities, but they failed to keep her safe. The very next day, he was waiting for Michelle outside of Christie's school. He beat her so badly that he broke her nose, dislocated her jaw, and knocked her unconscious. With a shitty grin on his face, he said, If I'm going back to jail, I'm going to make it worth my while. If you are watching on YouTube, you can see the severity of Michelle's injuries. Michelle was in such bad shape, she spent three days in the hospital recovering. Enough was enough. Not sure what took so long for her to make this decision, but Michelle finally filed for a divorce. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. After the divorce was finalized in 1987, Michelle and the children moved to Louisiana near her parents, far, far away from John Battaglia. On to the next poor woman to cross paths with John. Mary Jean Pearl, an antique dealer that came from a wealthy family in Dallas, Texas. Mary fell head over heels for him, and I'm sure this was before she saw his true colors. When he wasn't having angry outbursts, she describes him as being a very kind, giving, and loving man. The two married on April 6, 1991. They had two daughters together, Mary Faith in 1992 and Liberty May in 1995. But the inevitable happened. Mary eventually fell victim to John's physical and verbal abuse. After seven-plus years of marriage, she separated from John in January of 1999. For good reason, Mary did not allow John to live with his family, and as you can imagine, this made him very, very angry. On Christmas Day, 1999, it was John's day to have the girls. He came into Mary's home to help the girls gather their things before taking them to church. While inside, an argument ensued and John attacked Mary, beating her in front of the children. They were four and seven years old. Imagine how terrifying that would be to witness at such a young, impressionable age. In an interview with 2020, Mary said that he repeatedly punched her in the back of the head. Paramedics came and wanted to take her to a hospital for a CAT scan. But she was about to have a house full of guests for Christmas dinner. Through tears, she explained how she didn't want to cause alarm, so she declined medical attention and pretended everything was okay. John was charged with misdemeanor assault and, again, received two years probation. Probation does not seem enough for this repeated domestic abuse. 
Their divorce was finalized in August 2000, and an order of protection was issued preventing John from stalking, harassing, or threatening Mary. He was not allowed to see his girls for 30 days. John was also prohibited to possess any firearms. Okay, but what is actually preventing John from doing these things? A piece of paper stating he can't? Cases like this are so frustrating because to me, the system is flawed. Mary stated that John never hurt the girls or displayed any threatening behavior towards them. He never even went as far as spanking his girls. His anger seemed to focus solely on her. That is why Mary agreed to occasional short visitations, typically just taking the children out to dinner. In April of 2001, Mary received a threatening phone message from John. She reported it to his probation officer, and shortly after, John failed his drug screening, testing positive for marijuana. Drug use of any kind was a violation of his probation. On May 2nd, Mary drove Faith, age 9, and Liberty, age 6, to Highland Park Shopping Center in Dallas, Texas. The mall was the usual meeting place for visitations with John. She had an eerie feeling as she drove away. The girls happily waved goodbye to their mother as John leered at her. On this occasion, John did not take the girls to eat dinner as planned. Instead, he drove the girls over to his loft apartment. John heard there would be a warrant out for his arrest and was enraged. He left another unnerving message on Mary's answering machine. He said, maybe Mary Jean should lose her kids. When she failed to answer her cell phone, John called Mary's mother, stating that the girls had a question for their mom. Doris then called Mary on her cell to relay the message. Mary noticed she had two missed calls from John's number and immediately called him back. John answered her call and placed it on speakerphone. He then instructed Faith to go ahead, ask her. Faith asked her mother why she wanted their daddy to go to jail. Mary was surprised at the question. She didn't expect their girls to be brought into this. She started to reply when she heard Faith yell out, No, daddy, don't. Please don't do it. Mary screamed for her daughters to run to the door. Mary then heard several gunshots. John yelled into the phone, Merry fucking Christmas, followed by more gunshots. I know what you're thinking. This is May, not December. Apparently his Merry Christmas was in reference to the beating he gave Mary two years prior on Christmas Day in front of the girls. Mary hung up and frantically dialed 911 as she raced to John's apartment. After leaving his loft, John picked up his girlfriend and headed to a bar, as if nothing happened. John called Mary's home phone again and left a message for his daughters. It's super creepy. Good night, my babies. I hope you are resting in a different place. I love you. 
I wish you had nothing to do with your mother. She was evil and vicious and stupid. I love you dearly. Unquote. Yeah, she's the evil, vicious one. John also called his first wife, Michelle. She failed to answer, so he left a message stating he was sending some money for Christie's college education and to spend it wisely. While John was enjoying drinks at the bar with his girlfriend, a frantic Mary made her way to his loft. She was met by police who eventually broke down the door. They found the two young girls face down in pools of blood. Liberty was nearest the door and it appeared as though she had been running away as Mary had instructed them to do. She was shot four times. Faith was found near the phone and had been shot three times. Both girls had shots through their backs that severed their spinal cords. My only hope is that those shots killed them instantly and they didn't suffer. The shots to the body had been done with a small caliber handgun, while the shots to the head were with a 9mm Glock handgun. Both murder weapons and several other guns were found in the apartment. So much for that protection order. Once John and his girlfriend left the bar, he stumbled into a tattoo parlor. He got a tattoo of two roses in memory of his daughters. A complete psychopath. The police located him leaving the parlor around 1 a.m. He resisted arrest and it took four officers to finally get cuffs on him. His mugshot shows him with a black eye as a result of the scuffle. He was found to have a fully loaded revolver in his truck. John Battaglia was charged with two counts of first-degree murder of his daughters Faith and Liberty. His trial began April 22, 2002. The jury found him guilty after deliberating for only 19 minutes. Pretty open and shut case. I think it's surprising his counsel went forward with pleading not guilty. It seems like a waste of time. A man guilty of murdering his own two children in cold blood, no one had an issue with giving John Pataglia the death penalty. This is Texas, baby. And I say that because out of the 24 states that enforce capital punishment, Texas does not mess around. John's initial execution date was scheduled for March 30th, 2016, but his attorneys claimed that he was not mentally competent to understand his punishment. What a load of BS. The execution was rescheduled for December 7th, 2016, but again, a stay was granted due to ongoing mental competency questions. Four different mental health experts evaluated John. The defense expert, the prosecution expert, and one of the court-appointed experts found him to be mentally ill and unable to rationally understand his punishment. They all agreed that John knew what he had done was wrong, but that his mental illness compromised his ability to equate his crime with being executed. The final court-appointed expert, however, deemed him competent and the judge agreed. There was evidence that while in prison, John used the library to research capital case rulings based on mental competence. He had also compared avoiding execution like a game of chess during a recorded phone call in prison. On September 20th, 2017, the judge ruled that Battaglia had the motive and intellectual capacity to maintain a deliberate ploy or ruse to avoid his execution. 
On October 31st, 2017, the death warrant was signed and a new execution date was set for February 1st, 2018. All his appeals failed, and Battaglia was scheduled to be executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville Unit in Huntsville, Texas. John Battaglia was interviewed on multiple occasions while on death row. When asked how he felt about his legal troubles after beating of his first wife, Michelle, he said, quote, made me feel like I should have killed her because she couldn't learn a lesson, unquote. When asked about his girls and how they had died, he responded, they say they died from gunshot wounds, but it's kind of a blank to me. A reporter asked him if he believed he had been drugged, and that's why he killed his daughters, and he said, I think so. If I did at all, I think I didn't. He basically states he wished he killed his first wife, but then denies killing his children when there's a ridiculous amount of evidence proving he did. I would love to know who he thinks was in his apartment and gunned them down while on the phone with Mary. Who yelled Merry fucking Christmas? Who then called and left a message for his girls saying goodbye? Who went and got a tattoo in their memory? This guy is something else. Sounds like he was playing a lot of mind games with the reporters. John said he did regret emotional distress of his oldest daughter, Christy, for losing her sisters. Finally, on the subject of his execution, Battaglia said, It's a way to get out of here. It's not that big of a deal. Of all the possibilities, it's not that bad. It's very clean. You just go to sleep. Kind of nice. Mary attended his execution. As John was given the injection, he noticed her in the gallery. He smiled and said, Well, hi, Mary Jean. He continued to smile as his eyes closed like a scene from a horror film. Following this case, the Texas state legislator unanimously passed Bill 140, which asked judges to consider the history of domestic abuse when deciding whether parental visits with children should be supervised. Feel like that's common sense, but apparently a bill needs to be passed first. It went into effect September 1st, 2001. A Dallas domestic abuse shelter established a safe place to conduct supervised visitations. They named it Faith and Liberty's Place. That's it for today's episode. I would love to hear your thoughts and comments on social media. I'm on Instagram, threads, TikTok, and Facebook at Killer Stories Podcast. Continue to email me story suggestions to killerstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Time to read a review. Five stars on Apple Podcast from Kayla Christine titled Love, Love, Love. Absolutely love this podcast. I started listening Thanksgiving Day and have been obsessed ever since. By the way, love the dog snoring. (laughs) Dexter's snoring has honestly gotten out of control. He is 15 now and I no longer allow him in the room while I record. It's far too distracting. Research from today's episode by Sarah Bro, writing by Sarah Bro and myself, Bobby Holmes. As always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this has been a killer story.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.